Hey folks, welcome back to Third Down Gamble, the CFL betting podcast. I'm your host, Kyle McMahon. This will be part two of our week 17 podcast. Uh, so let's uh, let's pick up right where we left off and, and jump into triple header Saturday. Getting things rolling for us on Saturday afternoon will be the Montreal Alouettes with Vernon Adams back in the fold. Playing host to a Calgary Stampeders team that was idle last week uh, and is looking to retain their hold on first place in the West. Calgary opened as minus two favorites in this game, and that's pretty much where things remain. We've seen some two and a halves popping up, but for the most part, the market seems to agree with this line. Over under comes in at 51 and a half. Interesting playoff race developing in the West right now, and any of Calgary, Saskatchewan, or Winnipeg could find themselves atop the division when the dust settles on Saturday night. The Stamps come into this one looking for a measure of revenge after the Owls stunned them with a late comeback at McMahon Stadium in August, but oddly enough, the Stampeders as a franchise have really struggled in Montreal in recent years, despite the fact that these teams have been at opposite ends of the standings for much of that time period. So if you're into some of those long-term trends, maybe something to be mindful of, but this should be a great football game that probably doesn't get decided until the fourth quarter. Maybe the most interesting matchup on the field is going to be whether the Stampeders can get anything going along the ground uh, against one of the CFL's weakest run defenses. They'll be attempting to do so without Kadeem Carey. He's out for the season with a broken arm now, so expect Terry Williams to see the bulk of the carries with Fullback anti Milanovic leader probably seeing some action as well. Uh, but Kerry was really the only guy they've had much success with back there this season, so I'm not convinced we really see a whole lot of run calls. This offense prefers to pass and prefers to run deeper routes and pick up yardage in bigger chunks. The secondary isn't the weak spot of the Owls' defense, though, so I'm curious to see whether the Stampeders are going to be willing to take what the defense is giving them or try to force the issue and impose their will a little bit with the deep balls down the seam that they've had quite a bit of success with, especially since Bo Levi Mitchell got back into the lineup. This will be Montreal's first look at Mitchell this year. He was hurt when the first meeting took place. Calgary continues to be a mash unit at the receiver position, though. Uh, after Eric Rogers, it's basically depth players and unknowns filling the rest of those spots, as Markeith Ambles, Reggie Bagleton, and Juwan Bruskison all remain on the injured list. Josh Huff and the local product Colton Hunchak filled in nicely against the Argonauts, but going up against the Montreal secondary compared to Toronto's is definitely a bigger ask, even if the Owls secondary isn't an overly strong unit themselves. Injuries have taken a big bite out of the Stampeders this season, particularly on the offensive side of the ball as a whole, and I, I can't help but think at some point that's due to catch up with them, but they've been able to successfully employ the next man up strategy up, up to this point, and come hell or high water, this team finds a way to score. And you know, right now, I probably wouldn't bet against them scoring 20-plus points if Dave Dickinson had to throw on the pads and go in there himself to run the offense. So if you move forward under the assumption that Calgary is going to score their usual 25 or so points, the question you're left asking is whether or not Montreal is going to meet or exceed that total. Well, going back to week 10 when these teams met for the first time, the Owls offense has cruised along at well over a 50% success rate on average, and even with Matthew Schiltz at quarterback last week, they came in at 50% efficiency and probably would have scored 30 points if not for the Pipkin fumble near the BC goal line. 
Adams himself was pretty ordinary against the Stampeders back in week 10 through three quarters of play, but as we've seen so often, this offense hits the gas pedal in late stages and they ended up walking out of there with the win. I've mentioned previously that the Owls have generally trended upwards against opponents the more snaps they've played against them, so we'll see if that holds true again here. The Stamps defense has been excellent in terms of point suppression, averaging just 15 points against per game over their last four. The one thing to be a little concerned about, though, is that they've they've been outperforming what their metrics suggest. Um, you know, eventually there's going to be some regression there. Hamilton was obviously, uh, they were unlucky to the extreme to come in under 20 points. Um, and overall, this defense has only been running at around a 46% success rate during their current four-game winning streak. You can always bail yourself out with turnovers, though, and, and that's more or less been the MO of, of this defense throughout the year. Trey Roberson with all those interceptions first and foremost, but the Stamps have also benefited from a lot of opponent fumbles, and those do tend to be a lot more random than the, the picks are. I wonder a little bit about the spot here, which is an odd thing to say about a team coming off a bye week, but Calgary has the Riders followed by a home-and-home home with Winnipeg coming up the next three weeks. I'm not going to bank on them possibly looking past this game a little bit, but if if there was ever a week where that might happen, this is a good candidate. You factor that in with their bizarre struggles against the Alouettes in recent years, and I, I think that's enough to scare me off the stamps here. Even though any time you can get them laying less than a field goal, it's a pretty attractive proposition. With the way Montreal has continued to seize opportunities and pull out wins last week notwithstanding, Grabbing them as a home dog is probably the more attractive play for me here, though on, on the whole I think this line is pretty tight and not one where I'd want to be significantly invested on either side at this number. I do like the over here. 51.5 was the open, looks like 51 pretty much across the board now, so not a lot of movement there. There's no real reason you know, for me to think that both teams aren't going to at least flirt with 25 points here. All three units are a scoring threat for the Stampeders, and plain and simply, no opposition defense has really had a good answer for Vernon Adams through, you know, in a full 60-minute game up to this point. We did need an improbable late rally for these two teams to get over on their total back in August, and I, I don't think this quite turns into a shootout, but I, I still think over is the side here if you're wanting to get in on the total. The most important game of the week will undoubtedly be taking place early on uh, Saturday evening in Regina as the hometown Riders will meet their Manitoba rivals from Winnipeg for the third time in five weeks. The Riders come in as five-point favorites here with 47 as your over-under. We say it often in these parts, but boy what a difference a couple weeks can make to people's perceptions. The last time these teams met, Winnipeg was rolling to a blowout win at home in a game where they didn't even have their offensive MVP in the fold. But here we sit with the Bombers as fairly sizable underdogs after dropping a pair of games to Montreal and Hamilton, while the Riders picked up a close win over those same Alouettes and, of course, beat up on the Argonauts last week. There's two ways to approach this game. On one hand, we saw Winnipeg in fairly similar circumstances right around this time last year, and Mike O'Shea managed to circle the wagons, and the Bombers ended up rallying somewhat to reach the Western Final. There's also the fact that Andrew Harris wasn't in the lineup for both games of the Labor Day series, so the Riders' defense hasn't had to deal with him yet. And as emotionally disappointing as the loss to Hamilton was that sent the Bombers spiraling down into third place in the West, as far as the standings are concerned, it really wasn't a high-leverage game. 
win or lose last week, the game this week was going to be the one that went a long way to determining who was going to finish ahead of, of who as it pertains to these clubs. So as bad as things appear at ground zero for the Bombers right now, the view from 10,000 feet or whatever the hell that saying is, isn't nearly as bleak. They win this game and split with Calgary, all of a sudden they're sitting pretty again, holding tiebreakers against both teams they're battling with. If you were to project the spread in this game two weeks ago, knowing that neither team was going to suffer significant injuries, and that Winnipeg was going to have Andrew Harris back, you're probably looking at a pick'em, or potentially even a situation where Winnipeg would have been favored by a point or two. Has what's transpired in the last two weeks significant enough to move that line by a full touchdown? In my opinion, probably not. And in that sense, I think the Bombers would be quite attractive getting five or five and a half points here. However, and this is where waiting on a line and doing your homework before slapping down your money can be the prudent move, it's very difficult to be confident in Winnipeg after watching both coaches' media availabilities on Thursday afternoon. Both these teams have been great about making post-practice media sessions available on their websites, and I'd encourage you to dig into some of this stuff if you have the time, because there's often a good tidbit or two to be found. But you watch Craig Dickinson after Ryder's practice, and you can tell right away the attitude in Regina right now is all positive. This is a team that believes in themselves and believes in their coaching staff, and with good reason. I think Craig Dickinson has done an excellent job there so far this season. I won't get into the minutiae, but it's very easy to see that the vibe inside that organization is very good right now. Uh, as far as anything relevant to this week's game, uh, confirmation now that Jordan Williams-Lambert is going to be making his season debut. Manny Arsenault is uh, coming out of the lineup. We more or less knew this last week, um, but nothing else really earth-shattering in terms of personnel moves to report. But you contrast this to Mike O'Shea's presser, and it's night and day. You know, I, I don't want to overreact to somebody's demeanor in a press conference. These coaches are under a lot of pressure, and we never truly know what's going on behind closed doors. But this guy's up there at the podium, frankly, looking like his dog just got run over. Sullen, short, and terse answers to perfectly legitimate questions from reporters. Uh, in general, just a pretty lousy attitude on display there. And, and honestly, he looked and sounded like a guy who'd rather be doing anything but coach this football team right now. It's often said that a team tends to take on the personality of their head coach, and I have to say, if O'Shea is indeed representative of the attitude within the Bombers dressing room right now, things might be headed in the wrong direction there. It was interesting to me to hear that Willie Jefferson supposedly called out some of his teammates recently. I think complacency was the term used. And when asked about that, O'Shea, while certainly not denying that it occurred, was was very dismissive. I, I think his words amounted to, our guys work pretty damn hard. You know, so to me, that's indicative of some possible internal tension with this team. And, and as we all know, adverse situations tend to bring out people's true colors. So I have some real questions right now about just how tight this group actually is. And any football coach will tell you if... Guys aren't playing for each other out there on every snap. Uh, that's when you're really in trouble. Uh, so that's that's just something I found rather interesting. It was also revealed that defensive coordinator Richie Hall is away from the team right now, tending to a personal matter. I don't want to speculate on the reason, so I won't. 
but by the sounds of it, he may not be available for this weekend's game. And regardless uh, of, of whether or not he does make it to the stadium, he's, he's obviously missed the full week of prep and, and practice uh, by the sounds of it. So that's not something that bodes well either. Also of note, Darvin Adams was apparently excused from the team at some point this week as well for personal reasons. There's no indication yet that he's not going to play, but that's an absence that the Bombers really can't afford right now. You know, and I'll circle back to the curious release of receiver Chris Matthews. I, th I think that was about a month ago now. Um, on the surface, this isn't looking like a great decision. Um, Winnipeg didn't have a ton of talent at this position to begin with. You know, and with Lucky Whitehead starting to look like a flash in the pan and, and Adams not really doing a whole lot since he came back off the injured list, this has become an apparent weakness by this point. Yeah, Whitehead, a really disappointing few games from him. This guy was causing all sorts of issues for defenses with his blazing speed in the first half of the season, but he's been almost non-existent for two months now. Drew Wolitarski is also potentially banged up by the sounds of things. His status is up in the air right now. Rookie Kenny Lawler had a breakout game against Hamilton with 10 catches, and it looks like the Bombers might be forced to lean on him pretty heavily again. Okay, I didn't talk a whole lot about the Riders specifically here. You know, 17 weeks into this thing, there's not necessarily a whole lot to say. Um, that wouldn't just be me repeating myself, but this offense continues to cruise along. They recommitted to the run game after Winnipeg blew them out in the Banjo Bowl, and the results, uh, not surprisingly, have been pretty positive. Running against the Alouette and Argonaut defenses can certainly help a team get their confidence back in that department, but uh, in its present condition, the once-vaunted Blue Bomber defense isn't looking like any great shakes themselves right now either. I alluded to this in part one of this podcast, but if you missed it, the Winnipeg defense basically boils down to whether or not Willie Jefferson breaks up the play right now. As great as he's playing, one guy can't make a defense. I would strongly suspect the Riders are drawing up as many schemes as they can right now to neutralize his impact and, and attack other areas of the field. And between the two coaching staffs coming up with their game plans, let's just say I trust the guys wearing green a little more at this particular moment. It's pretty rare for me to like one team at the open and find myself gravitating completely to the opposite side. But I just can't shake the feeling that there are some real problems in Winnipeg right now, and, and heading into a very hostile Mosaic Stadium on their back foot could be a recipe for disaster. We saw this line tick up to six very briefly. It's back to five now. I'm not willing to disregard the numbers to the point that I'm going to lay five points on a, a team I was initially expecting to probably bet against. Yeah, But if this gets driven down to a field goal, which is admittedly unlikely... I'd maybe be taking the plunge at that point. Total-wise, I don't have the stomach to go under 47 with the Riders' offense appearing to be back on track and the Bomber defense unable to stop a nosebleed for the last five quarters they've been on the field. And in fact, I would probably lean over here. The Riders haven't been great against the run for several weeks now, and the Bombers ran them over without Harris when these teams met the first time. The concern, obviously, is that if things unravel again on defense for Winnipeg, they're going to be forced, or, or at least they'll likely feel as though they're forced, to try and get things going through the air, uh, which, you know, obviously isn't their strength. 
tough to stay on the sidelines betting-wise for such a big game, but unfortunately that could end up being the case. Uh, if I find a play I like that I didn't cover in the podcast, I'll usually throw it out there on Twitter as, as game time approaches, though, so stay posted. Last game of the night has the Argonauts heading out west for a date with the surging BC Lions, now winners of three straight games. This has not gone unnoticed by the books who've installed BC as approximately minus nine favorites, depending on where you do your shopping, with an over-under 51 points. Alright, I'll spare the preamble and dive into the nuts and bolts of this one, since I'm sure you don't really want to hear me blather on about this matchup for any length of time. James Franklin is getting the start again for Toronto, despite struggling to generate much of anything last week against Saskatchewan. Going up against a BC defense that's been very good against the pass, really for about six games now, uh, does not bode well for this offense. The Lions, as we know, have had all sorts of problems against the run. Uh, OC Jacques Chapdelaine had any inclination to try to get James Wilder going, or anyone else for that matter, I'd actually give Toronto a puncher's chance of winning this game. But that's just not something I expect to happen, and asking James Franklin to drop back and pass 40 times isn't a recipe for success, no matter how badly the coaching staff wants it to be. You combine that with a cross-country trip for a meaningless game that won't start until 10 o'clock at night Toronto time, and this is certainly a spot where Toronto calling it in would not be surprising in the least. My hesitation on backing BC at that number pretty much comes down to that run defense, even though I just explained that I don't expect Toronto to run the ball very often. Weird things start to happen late in the year when you've got teams out of the playoff race playing each other, and there's still is plenty of talent on this Toronto roster, uh, you know, at least on offense. To score points uh, on the off chance they come up with a competent game plan. The other factor would be that Franklin's no guarantee to play the entire game. I'd imagine he does as long as things don't go too terribly wrong, but if McLeod Bethel-Thompson were to get on the field, uh, he's a guy prone to getting hot in short bursts and could potentially backdoor cover uh, you know, a number that large. I do like the under 51 here, though. Despite how vulnerable the Argonauts' secondary is, I, I don't think BC does anything to upset the rhythm they've established on this nice little run they're on. The run game and the short and medium passes have served them very well, and while I don't expect the Argos' defense to really shut that down, we should see more of the clock-killing drives that kept the total under 50 in their previous three three games, previous three uh, Lions games, I, I should clarify. For as long as Franklin's in the game, it's doubtful to me that Toronto is going to generate much of anything. Uh, again, I wouldn't be too gung-ho to bet on a game between also-rans this late in the year, but uh, I do think there's some value on the under here to be had. Okay, that's, uh, that's another two-part edition of Third Down Gamble in the books here. As far as our best bet goes, if you listen to part one of the podcast, you already know the Tiger Cats minus the points is our top play this week. Uh, hopefully you got in at six or six and a half. Uh, if not, don't sweat it. I, I think this one is comfortably playable to eight uh, should the line continue moving in, in that direction. Thanks again to everyone for listening along through 17 weeks. Hit me up on Twitter anytime at kdrive88. Or check out FirstLinePicks.com. NCAA picks for this week are posted if you're interested in those. Best of luck whichever side you're on this week. Let's keep the good times rolling, and we will see you next time.